Welcome to episode 8, part 2 of Cabin 11, where there is always room for anyone looking for a family. I'm Celeste. I'm Minnie. And this is Cabin 11, your favorite Percy Jackson podcast. We're just going to jump right in with our character creature spotlight, and this episode is Hellhounds. A hellhound is a mythical hound, which is a guardian or a servant of hell, the devil, or the underworld. Hellhounds occur in many mythologies around the world, with Cerberus from Greek mythology. In the Riordan verse, hellhounds are children of the goddess Nyx and Cerberus, the guard dog of the underworld. They are feared by demigods, except for children of Hades and other deities that are evil, I guess. Chthonic. <laughs> Minnie's using big words and I did I'm not sorry. practice. I did okay. not practice. It is my fault. <laughs> But we no. come to learn uh, several different hellhounds throughout this series, so... Oh, yeah, yeah, no. This is just our first, like, intro. Now, as you'll learn if you don't already know, Greek mythology is very intertwined with many different versions of each story. We are not experts or qualified, just here to have a good time and dive into a story we love. Um, specifically, though, this time, <laughs> there's lots of, like, little nuance stuff that I kind of have made note of. So, mm. yeah, definitely don't take my word on Greek mythology stuff. I'm very surface-level knowledgeable. You can find Cabin Eleven on Instagram at Cabin Eleven Podcast and on Twitter at Cabin Percy. Follow those accounts to receive the most up-to-date information about your favorite Percy Jackson podcast. If you would like to support the podcast, we have a Kofi available now. Exclusive content will be available to our monthly supporters, and we can't wait to share this with you. You can find us there at ko-fi.com slash cabin11podcast. That's ko-fi.com slash cabin11podcast. The bonus episode that is unedited is officially up and loaded. Yeah, that's, that was a fun one. I had such a hard time cutting out stuff. Oh, God, that was a fun episode to record. Before we splash in, this is the moment where we say that there will be major spoilers ahead. So please proceed with caution if you're a first-time reader. You have some colossal spoilers coming. Don't say we didn't warn you. Last episode, we discussed the first part of Chapter 8. In order to discuss the Chapter the Flag episode, we decided to split it into two parts because there's just a lot going on, and we wanted to make sure we did it justice. In the first half of the chapter, we found out that there is more about the Pact of the Big Three than we know, and Percy is settling into his new life at Camp Half-Blood. In these past few chapters, and it continues into this second half of this chapter, there's quite a bit of foreshadowing. Fun fact, my notes on this chapter are twice as long as my notes from the last episode, which is half a chapter. Yep. Because it's mainly my notes this time, and it's longer. Celeste hasn't even got much of her notes in the I'm actual sorry. document. My no, 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 no. I'm not, like, calling you out for that. cat destroyed my notebook. I know. I'm like, I'm not, that's not the uh, issue. Know, I'm just like, I wow, know. I wrote a lot about like a few pages in this, honestly. To give an idea, we usually average at about two and a half, three pages. We have four. We have four today. So. And it's all just me writing. First thing I noticed in the lead into this section of the chapter is that Rick is setting like a really specific tone for the rest of the chapter. It's kind of like that supercharged atmosphere, which like continues to build and build and build as we like go through the chapter. So 
this being like there was a buzz around camp. They're so much more excited than usual because, you know, it's that week-long build-up to a big event and tonight's the night. It's happening. It's all going. And you can feel how electrifying that sort of a vibe is. The kids have been looking forward to it all week and just you, you can feel it like humming in the air almost. Yeah, I I just said that it felt like tension that you could cut with a knife because the first time that they talked about this capture the flag was, I think, in the timeline, it falls out to be almost exactly a week. So there's been a lot of buildup to this night, and especially with a new camper in the air, this camp gets to show Percy what it's all about and a one way that they get to test their skills. And I think that they're proud of that. And I think they're just showing it off. Oh, heck yeah. That's why they're so excited about it. But yeah, like when I think about that, like one little line, like (laughs) there's more excitement than usual. Thinking of kids and summertime and like, you know, the excitement, it's the last week of school in a way. And the air has a certain quality to it. Yeah. You can like feel it humming with excitement because everyone's like super looking forward to this event. Anyway, (laughs) that's It's like the tone for the rest of this chapter and it keeps building and building and building until we get to the last page and then it's just thunderstorm kind of a thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. No, yeah. Within this chapter in itself, we see the full like build up climax and immediate drop and downfall all in one chapter that you usually only see maybe once or twice in a whole book. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's just one chapter. It's great. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's phenomenal seeing the way that Rick can write and how you can... Whenever I read this chapter, I always start reading it like my normal pace and by like the last two or three pages, like I already know what's coming and I catch myself like skipping words here and there and I just like trying to read it as fast as I can to get to that moment. Yes, oh my god, this was what I was writing about when I posted that tweet about, I am so emotional, I'm forgetting to take notes. Yeah. When I posted that, I was like, wow, yeah, that's exactly what was happening. It's like, cool, I was taking notes through the first part of the chapter, but then you hit the game, and then it's just like, I gotta know what's going on. I already know what's going on, I know what's gonna happen, but I gotta read it again, like, it's that urgency. Oh god, I love it so much, it's so good. Very attention-grabbing. Very effective. This is such a good chapter. So <laughs> It really is. This one and the next one are, like, two of my favorites. The next thing is everyone's all, like, standing around the tables. The conch shell's been, like, blown, and they're all, like, waiting. And then the banners come in. And this, like, they really grabbed my attention because it just kind of further cements all of the different little like talking points we've made about color and symbols that we've all been discussing over the past few weeks. Mm-hmm. And then I went down a bit of a rabbit hole with this one, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Can it confirm. took me so long to drag myself out of it. Uh, but uh, it's fine. With Athena's banner, we've got gray, which we talked about last week being balanced, like neutrality and that kind of stuff and then we had the other symbols so the scales we talked about but this time we've got an owl and an olive tree so owl again i think i'm briefly touched on it last time yes that's wisdom and intelligence and then you've got your olive tree which is typically peace and friendship these banners are supposed to symbolize the gods that they represent so that kind of wise 
I wouldn't say Athena is peaceful, but she strives for peace sort of a thing. Like, she wants balance to be restored. Yeah, that's the Athena flag, but the rabbit hole I went down through was the Aries one, so I'll talk about that a little bit. I can't remember if we have discussed the color red specifically, but I don't believe so. It's been blue, yellow, orange, and gray, I think. The Aries banner is red with a spear and a boar head. Red is universally known as a very passionate color. It can represent things from war, courage, and anger, like what is typically associated with Aries, the war god. But also, like, on the flip side of that, you've got love and passion, which are also just very, like, intense emotions. So that's kind of why red is so intense, because it's just associated with intense emotions like that. The spear is specifically a symbol of Aries being the war god but the boar head this one was interesting i messaged celeste about this right before we started recording i was like i found out something interesting Mm -hmm. (laughs) this could be one of two things because there's the general association of the animal like the boar which can typically be like the bloodlust of a wild boar and the courage it takes to conquer one that kind of a vibe or There's also some retellings of a myth about Aphrodite and Adonis, where Adonis was killed by a boar, but in some of those, like, retellings, it is a boar that was sent by Ares, who was jealous of the time that Aphrodite was spending with Adonis. So I found that kind of interesting, that it was a boar that was on the flag in this one, because I'm pretty sure there are other animals associated with Ares that he could have used instead, but the boar was specific. So if we recall back to, I believe it was two chapters ago, and we're talking about the cabin description, the Ares cabin has a boar head attached to, I think it's door or part of its roof or something. I'm pretty sure it is one of the sacred animals of Ares, but like, I just think it's kind of funny that there is also a myth that's like Ares killed his lover's lover sort of a thing yeah with (laughs) the boar like of course he did that was like kind of my little rabbit hole that i went down today i love that there are so many different retellings because you're like oh man i just don't even know where to start yeah and then you start connecting them and then they start melting into one and yep it's (laughs) all just one big mud puddle but yeah so that's the description of the banners and they're all getting ready to like go out to do the capture the flag and then there's this short line where percy is looking at luke in the torchlight and notices the scar on his face that makes him look almost evil yeah i noted that too i was thinking about this because going back to what i was saying just before about like the electric atmosphere rick is really good at setting the tone for his reader and on a first read through I don't think you would necessarily pick that up as foreshadowing at this point. No, I like don't it's think so more either. just it kind of gives me like a mischievous sort of a vibe yeah. initially. Like I remember reading it and thinking, Luke has something up his sleeve for this game of capture the flag. And yes, um, he does. And yes, he does. <laughs> but also, <laughs> you can recognize this as a key piece of foreshadowing on your second, third, fourth read through because it again as you read through more than once, you like calling back to the bitterness that Percy's already noted in Luke. And this is just piling onto that. And they're like, his dad gave him the scar. He has the scar because of his dad. And that's a key part to the bitterness. So the scar is making him look evil in the torchlight because that's a key 
Like, that scar, if he didn't have that, I feel like he would be on a very different path in a way because he holds that resentment from getting that scar against his dad. Absolutely. Um, The other line that I noticed in this read-through that I haven't noticed before was the fact that there's a line... It says something along the lines of, you know, Luke looked at me as if he knew something I didn't. I mean, I recently just read through this book and I restarted it again for when we started the podcast. And I didn't notice that on the read through beforehand. But looking at what we know now, it makes sense that there were multiple reasons that Luke was acting like this. And he was just making his thoughts a little too visible on his face. But the people around yeah. him don't oh, aren't yeah. aware of this because he he does know something Percy doesn't. A few things. And, yeah, and I think that he knows things that weren't even ever really disclosed. I think that he already knows who his godly parent is, personally. Oh, potentially, when you think about who he's teamed up with. Exactly. Because why else would that dog, Hellhound, target Percy? You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, I, that's a good point. I think that... Luke is already privy to the information of who Percy is. And then you've already got the obvious as well. Like, he he knows they're about to use him as bait. (laughs) Uh, That too. That too. (laughs) Yeah. Like, he knows the strategy for capture the flag, and we're keeping Percy in the dark. Yep. Because that's the only way it would have worked. Moving forward into the chapter, uh, Percy asks, so, who we paired up with? And Luke says, well, we're on Athena's team, and she partnered up with Apollo and Hermes, us. And come to find out, the cabins have been trading activity slots, chores, privileges, all that kind of stuff uh, to get them to be on their side. And it makes me wonder, was this all done so that way Annabeth could have Percy on her team? Or was it also to do with the fact that in acquiring Percy, she got Luke and the biggest cabin in camp? Because that didn't start happening until after Percy got there. My assumption is that Annabeth had that comment where she was like, you know, I want you on my team. So was she already working towards that? Or did that process start after? You know what I mean? Yeah, because I feel like the Hermes cabin is almost big enough to try and just go all for themselves. But they partnered up this time. Yeah. I also think it's a strategic move on Annabeth's part because she knows there's no way Ares is going to want to side with Hermes with Percy being associated with them after that little stunt in the bathroom. Nah. It was just a little shower. It's just a little shower with toilet water. Mmm, delicious. Clarice, (laughs) if you can't swim, just say that. And I know, of course, like every other Greek god, Ares and Poseidon have history where they don't get along. Yeah. Literally everyone else. Um, but I think specifically Ares killed like a son of Poseidon. I don't know the full story. I think so. Basically, Poseidon's like pissed ass at Ares because Ares killed a son of Poseidon. So it's... there's already some tension between the cabins because of their parents. And I mean, it's Ares. They like to pick fights with everyone. Yep. <laughs> Chiron's going over the rules and stuff, and he specifies no killing or maiming. I have a couple of issues with this line, because yes, they're half god, half human, but this is, it's like a scary-ass thought, like, terrifying. Why does this even have to be a rule? These are children. These are children. This is supposed to be a game, and you're treating them like child soldiers being sent off to war. I don't know. Like, we, we legitimately see that later in this series yeah with the children fighting for their parents they're literally children but this in this instance i feel like it's even more scary because it's supposed to be a game but then at the same time apparently it's not supposed to be a game it's a training exercise so personally the way that i always looked at it was you know how like you see things and you're like well there's got to be a story behind that one 
I feel like that's one of those like hey this should be common sense campers because you're all teenagers but no killing or maiming that's kind of how it always came off to me as like i know this is common sense but i'm gonna remind you because you're all children that is that is a good one too but then i'm also like i can't like get the child soldiers thought out of my brain when i hear this as well i mean that's fair but you wouldn't be telling child soldiers no killing or maiming during a game you might you might <laughs> yeah i don't know that was just the thought that i have we in the forest now they're all getting set up and percy just saunters on up to annabeth like got any magic items you can loan me <laughs> this line i don't know this line seems so funny and yeah like because out it of is. place because like it, yeah <laughs> percy has uh, my understanding and reading this so far Percy doesn't really initiate the conversation between him and Annabeth. It's always like Annabeth's like, ugh, Chiron told me to come do this with you, so we're going to do this. But also, (laughs) he's spent a week with her doing lessons, and I think he was just trying to get her to smile and, like, lighten up because at this point, Annabeth's in focus mode. Yeah, she's in her strategic brain, like... (laughs) Yeah, and I think he was just genuinely trying to make her laugh and pull her out of it because he's like, why is this so serious? I know, and it's kind of funny because, like, also if you think about it, like, logically, he's been in a week in this world for a week. Like, he won't even know how to use a magic item. He probably wouldn't even know what a magic item was if it was staring him in the face. No, and is I mean, anyone going to give up? Yeah, is anyone going to give up an exclusive item like that to the newbie? I don't think so. No, <laughs> like it's just so funny. Like I don't know. It's it, this is like one of those lines that kind of like breaks the tension a little bit. It does. And then, I believe that's what it's meant to do. Yeah. But then directly after this, he's, like, so put out and sulky because he's been assigned Border Patrol. And he just is, like, glad you wanted me on your team and, like, sulks away. (laughs) Uh, For me, like, yeah. But that's an important, like, line to acknowledge because Annabeth literally did say... I think I want you on my team for Capture the Flag. He was chosen to be on Annabeth's team basically from day one, but also he's still very much struggling with the feeling of being excluded and not needed, not realizing that he is a specific key player in Annabeth's plan for this uh, Capture the Flag game mm-hmm. to take the thing off Ares. His Border Patrol is uh, right by the border, and they say specifically by the creek. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, for me, we know that Annabeth is five steps ahead of everyone else. We know that she has an inkling that he's one of the big three. Is this a foreshadowing a from her? Yeah, like a test, but like to see if there is any kind of an affinity to water or, you know, just in case there is, he's in a place where he might be like a little more safe because she saw what he did with the bathroom. Yeah. No, I never it's thought It's helping her before. narrow down the selection. Yeah, no, that's that's really smart. I'd never thought of that before. Yeah. We gotta pay a lot of attention to what Annabeth says. I know. I I feel like we could do a whole separate, like, bonus series on just Annabeth. Annabeth. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Almost. Like, just going through and just anything that she says or is described about it. Like, just because she's so insightful, like, all the time. Mm -hmm. So, as the game starts, Percy talks about how people are going past him. He can hear fighting in the woods and there's a specific line that makes note to acknowledge the fact that a child of apollo runs past him he says something along the lines of 
he leapt over the creek like a deer. And I was like, okay, anytime that we've had a god and an animal or a god and a color, there's been almost a direct connection. So I looked this one up and I could only find it in one place. So I'm not 100% positive, but I found that one of the sacred animals to Apollo is a roe deer. And these are the deer that have like the little horns in the middle of their head, not like the huge antlers. Mm. So I thought that that was interesting because if that is correct, like I said, I only found it in one place. I feel like that's a good call out though, like to, I guess, some of like the little intricate details that Rick weaves into his stories. Yeah. Because yeah, even like the obscure myths are like kind of acknowledged in some way or like associations like this one, you could only find it in one place. Like Yeah. And I, I searched through quite a few different pages and this one was like, I searched, is a deer a sacred animal of Apollo? And it was like the Google thing that popped up and it was like deer and like a ton of other animals too swans was one there's a few of them but deer typically falls under artemis artemis and apollo are twins aren't they yeah they are so i mean there could be some relation there too except you know gods are weird about relation yeah ships just gods are weird (laughs) gods are weird end of sentence (laughs) percy's over by the creek at this point and he okay this part Oh, this part um, gave me chills when I was reading yeah, it this morning. I had so many questions. Well, so I have one specific question I want answered about this part. Okay. So he hears a low growl, like specifically a canine growl. We know this is the hellhound, but he can hear it close by and it sends a chill up his spine and it retreats on the arrival of Clarice and all the Aries minions. Yeah, the, the hellhound fact is clarified in about five minutes in terms of the timeline of the story itself but why did it retreat my current theory is because Clarice was more of an imminent threat to Percy at this point the hellhound is there specifically for Percy but then I'm like okay Clarice imminent threat is the hellhound trying to kill or just severely wound him which is why it backs off to see how things play out with Clarice I don't know how much control a camper has over a creature once it's summoned because we find out that you can only have that kind of creature in the camp if it's summoned by a a camper so you know I don't know I'm just genuinely really curious about why it backed off just then was it trying to get Percy alone and it gets impatient later? Like, I, I have so many questions about this. So my personal answer would be that the Hellhound just watched Percy go from one, it was a one-on-one fight, to a six-to-one fight. Plus, not to mention Clarice's electric spear. Yeah, true. Although, it doesn't make much sense for the ending. But in that moment... I, well, actually, no, now that you've mentioned it, the ending part... It's a whole camp against this guy. Yeah. It's gonna, yeah. So it's taking its last chance because no one's going to attack him now that the game is over. I'm not maybe. sure. I mean, maybe there's a chance that, like, this is the moment that the Hellhound finally finds Percy. And who knows? Luke might have instructed this Hellhound to, you know, wait until the end of the game or wait until his call. Maybe there's a specific phrase or action or summons that it's waiting for for the command to attack and i could very much see luke saying no i don't want this to be one-on-one i want the whole camp to see what happens to him make an example of him um you know what i mean yeah there's that too see there's so many like ways we could interpret this (laughs) so i want to know what the right one is 
I don't know if there necessarily is a right one. But yeah, no, it really, it could just be like the whole, it could be that. It could very much be that. Which is great. Like all of, the thing with these theories is they all kind of work. <laughs> yeah, they do. Sorry, my other no, thought. No, go ahead is that maybe it's not listed. I tried looking up Hellhound's weaknesses, but maybe something of it had to do with her electric spear as well. Because by the end of the game, her spear is snapped. And the only thing that I could find that was a weakness for Hellhound's was iron. But who's to say that in this more modern time, the electricity isn't a weakness for them? You know what I mean? Mm, Yeah, that's true. That's the only other thing that I could think of as well. While Clarice and Percy are fighting... He first mentions Percy has a sword and a shield, and the shield is about the same height and width of him, it seems, length. I don't know. Like, if he laid down, it'd be that long. <laughs> um, I think they said about the size of a, of a high school basketball, like the, the backboard thing. Yeah, and those things are huge. about six feet. So they're, they're ginormous. Maybe six feet is a bit much. Maybe closer to like five, four or five. But still, they're huge, and especially this 12-year-old has a giant shield, and the first thing that Clarice does is she takes the spear and goes at Percy, and he blocks it with his um, shield, and he says that his entire arm goes numb, and that's when he realizes that it's electric. They're fighting again, and she goes in again and i'm not sure exactly how he deflects it but he deflects it again and then the other arm is numb so now he's trying to fight with two numb arms at the very last point she goes right in at him and hits the armor it basically sends him flying into the water at this point he's pretty much just numb so i can only imagine if that's how it's affecting percy and like while i was reading it i felt like i could understand like oh yeah it just reminds me of like I know it's not exact, but, like, the numbness feeling was like, oh, that's got to feel like every single part of your body feels like it's asleep. Oh, God. And it's that tingling <laughs> that just, like, hurts. When it, that's the like, best thing when, that I The thing that hurts with that is when it starts waking back up again. Yes. Like. When you're at that stage, but it's all mm. over his body. Oh, that's, I don't that's, like that feeling. That's kind of the way that I was perceiving it as. I work in the food service. I work with a lot of electric equipment and I went to turn one off last night and I got a shock. I can only imagine like just that short split second of it and the lingering. And that was just indirect. Like that was, I can't even imagine how this feels. And I hope Percy slept really good this night (laughs) because. I hope so. Oh, the poor thing. He goes through so much physically in this chapter. Oh my god, right? Like, this would destroy So much. <laughs> like, that's just the big... Those little bits this are just the, the beginning. This is the start. This isn't even all the whole... This isn't even all of it. Like, we're yeah. only, like, halfway through. Yeah, and not only does he get basically shocked all over one of he Clarice's cronies. Yep. And, yeah. Um, he gets cut on his arm. And it's said to be a fairly sized cut, so... I picture yeah. that it probably takes up maybe, like five or six inches on his arm that's what i always imagined ouchies clarice has knocked percy into the water uh, he's been like electrocuted and stuff but when he steps into the water 
it wakens up his senses and he describes it as though he'd eaten a whole bag of double espresso jelly beans, which I thought was hilarious because I'm pretty sure they don't have real caffeine in them. (laughs) I love that comparison. But for some reason, my brain has always thought that he was saying like chocolate espresso beans because those those are are my favorite little snacks. Those are so good. But then this last time around, I was like, wait a second, jelly beans? Yeah, jelly beans. I noticed that today. I was like, what the heck? That's just sugar, my guy. (laughs) I mean, he's just having a sugar rush, I guess. This calls back, like, the whole wakening up his senses. This same thing happened earlier in this chapter when he was fighting Luke, and after pouring water on himself, he felt, like, recharged, and he was able to deflect that defensive maneuver from Luke. So this is further cementing the super obvious foreshadowing that we've had so far, that water is a source of strength and power for Percy, even if he doesn't know that or what it means or anything. He just hasn't made the connection yet. So yeah, he takes out all five of them and is able to like go through and describe like what he's doing to take them all down and everything. And then right at the end, he like bops Clarice on the head with the sword. And she just like can't talk anymore. <laughs> and while this is all going on, we can hear Luke arriving with the flag. Luke crosses the boundary into safe territory. We see the banner changing. And I always visualize this the same. And I've done it for as long as I can remember. You know in Harry Potter, the way that, like, the house colour decorations change at the end of the first book slash movie? Yeah. Waves and shimmers from Slytherin to Gryffindor. Oh, sorry, spoiler alert. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Good good thing that's not our podcast. (laughs) And so the flag turns from, like, grey to silver, and it has the caduceus on it, which is the symbol of... That's the staff of Hermes, essentially. Now going back to our our banner symbolism and stuff silver is typically associated with wealth and success but it can also be like grace and sophistication the caduceus itself is yeah the stuff of hermes so it's symbolic of all the things that hermes represents i personally feel like with the color silver in this instance it's more on the wealth slash success line because that makes more sense and given that he's the god of merchants travelers thieves all that kind of stuff so that was like my thing. But I always, yeah, I always visualize it the same. Like, it kind of just shimmers and changes color. and Something so magical about that. <laughs> I always imagined it was, like... I feel like the way I'm going to describe it is going to make it sound really weird. But I always imagine it, like, shed the layer before it. And it, like, just dissipated. And then the flag was the regular one. Like, the next team's. That's how I always pictured it in my head. What do you mean by, like, shed the light? I'm just trying to visualize it. Yeah, so, like, like you it know peels how, like, a, off? Yeah. Oh, that's a cool idea, too. I like That's it. how I always imagined it. Is it, like, literally, like, peeled off? Nice. I like that, actually. That's kind of cool. Like, or like a sticker off. Crumbled. Yeah. But, like, it just but did it itself. the sticker turns into nothing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's but, like, candy like, floss and water. Yeah. Candy floss. Yeah. Cotton candy. But yeah, so Hermes won capture the flag. The Her- that Hermes cabin won capture the flag. Clarice got her ass kicked for trying to pick on Percy and realizes that this whole thing has been a setup and Percy is pissed. <laughs> he's so pissed that Annabeth used him as bait. <laughs> He's like, he's like, couldn't even acknowledge the fact that she literally, like, appeared out of thin air 
because she was invisible and she like sidled on up to him but so he's just like you use me <laughs> like he's just and then her response is just athena always has a plan <laughs> i love that so much literally she is gaslight oh, in this moment God. she is gaslight hilarious uh, i did not use yeah. you as bait it was the plan <laughs> It was the plan. It was this. It was this exchange here that made me recognize that we really got to pay like super close attention to what she's saying because she knew before. Like she, like Clarice and stuff were just like, "Yeah, we gotta get Percy, cream him," and Annabeth knew that they would go directly for wherever he was, kind of a thing. Yeah. So <laughs> they used that to their advantage. Part of the reason that we needed to split this into two parts is just because there is so much that happens in just this tiny little bit. And this yeah. part here is was always really difficult for me to take notes on just because, you know, that electrifying feeling I mentioned earlier, that supercharged excitement for like as a reader, this is the critical like point. Yeah, we're at peak right now. We we're are at, peak at the top of the roller electricity coaster. sort of thing. Like this is everything is happening. And, like, through the rest of the chapter, it's it's the same. So, yeah. and it's like, oh, look at your arm. And Percy's like, yeah, I got a, yeah, I got cut by a sword. She's like, it was a sword cut. And he's like, whoa, healing powers, what? It's like, he watches it fade into a scar and then completely disappear. And then Annabeth is, like, turning things over in her brain. And she's like, hey, step out of the water, Percy. And then immediately, all that bone tiredness, that numbness from being electrocuted, all of that just comes hitting him like a freight train. And he's no longer in contact with the water. And then it's like, oh no, Annabeth knows exactly what this means. And it is not a good sign. She was like assuming Zeus. I reckon she was assuming Zeus because Zeus already broke the pact once. And we all know. Yeah. Zeus has, uh, has a reputation. Yeah, she's like... I assumed, I assumed it would be Zeus, but... She said, oh, Dear Yeah, and then it's like, oh, no. <laughs> so, like, yeah, I think it's because Zeus was the one more likely to do it again, considering yeah. he'd already broken the pact. But the fact it was Poseidon means that two of the three... Two of the big three have now broken the pact, and Annabeth is... This is not good. Like, not good. And then, at this moment, the Hellhound appears again. And decides to rip Percy to shreds, basically. Annabeth's telling him to run. It jumps over Annabeth, who jumped in front of Percy. Yeah, she like, was ready. She steps in front. What is she going to do against a hellhound? Oh, my God. Like, just just one little wise girl. I have the same age. <laughs> it was those, the ADHD demigod reflexes. Yeah, of, it definitely was. There's a monster. <laughs> but... There's someone who, I think at this point, she's gotta be at least considering percy a friend or at least someone important but she's not sure why yeah and yeah well she is sure now why like well she yeah she is, is, but, she is sure yeah. now why but when it comes to her life and how he's gonna be a part yeah of yeah that she's not she knows that she will play a part because chiron has let her in on that much but she doesn't know what that's gonna be this hellhound just like leaps right over annabeth and like rips percy to shreds like he can feel the armor being torn off him and it's like and like like butter it just tears through it like nothing yeah and as soon as like the hellhound was spotted chiron is basically like on alert everybody everyone's like up in arms ready to go and then clarice like yells out it was percy percy did it like like shut up (laughs) <laughs> shush you like, he doesn't know <laughs> sh- 
He doesn't know. He doesn't know what anything. This thing is. Yeah, well, of course, so. Percy, who learned of the gods seven days ago, summoned a hellhound. Absolutely, yeah, definitely of did. Of course, mm-hmm. Percy is like super injured. The hellhound gets like immediately destroyed as soon as it attacks Percy because all the arrows are leashed at it and it just has like lots of them sticking out of its neck so it dies and disappears as monsters do my head canon is that every single one of those 40 arrows was fired by chiron <laughs> oh i like that head cannon actually that's, that's kind of cool head cannon. my personal head cannon. just like speed like yes <laughs> firing like i just it's like uh yeah <laughs> yeah uh so sorry sleep deprived celeste lets the uh the really cringy headcanons come out. No, please do. I love hearing about them. <laughs> this is this particular point is where we find out that it could only be summoned by someone in the camp. So it's like, oh dear. Percy's basically bleeding to death at this point. Um, so Annabeth is like, go stand in the water, Percy. And Percy's like, I'm fine. And Annabeth's like, get in the water, Percy. <laughs> I could literally um, picture that. Him just raising him and be like, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's okay. He's literally <laughs> bleeding to death. Like His wounds start like coming together and healing and everyone is looking at him and Percy's like, I don't know what this is. But then he realizes that they're not looking actually at him. Not at all. They're looking above his head. Above his head, there's like a hologram of a green light spinning and gleaming. And it is a trident. <laughs> Percy finally got claimed! <laughs> Oh, okay. This part, honestly, every time I'm just like, I get chills every time I read it, like the whole he steps in the water and his wounds are healing and there's this green light above him and there's a trident, like his dad is making himself known and then Percy's still like bewildered and he's like, what is this, what does this thing mean that's above my head? And then, oh, okay, just Chiron's announcement at the end of this chapter. I'm getting chills now just talking about it. So (laughs) It's like just the power and meaning behind it all and the way he says it. Like this is the the Chiron from history, the teacher of heroes for like ever. And he's heralding Percy's arrival to the, I guess, community. Like this is, this is cementing the fact that Percy is where he belongs. And he says, Poseidon, Earthshaker, Stormbringer, father of horses, Hail Perseus Jackson, son of the sea god. Oh, God. It makes my hair stand up every single time. It actually does. Every time. Like, no matter how many times I reread... I've reread this chapter, like, six times just for these two episodes. That's not including all my casual read-throughs. And every time, I'm just, like, chills. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. It is. It's wonderful. And it's such a great way to end the chapter because this is there's 22 chapters in this book this is the end of chapter eight so this is right before this is like the climax you get right before someone goes on a quest in harry potter Mm -hmm. it's he finds out he's a wizard that's your peak he starts on his quest for percy it's finding out who his godly parent is and this is what really puts into place everything that unfolds after it and into the next two series yeah and it's such a significant moment too because so many half-bloods have gone unclaimed yeah so the fact that poseidon's willing to risk and poseidon knows the risks that are coming because he claimed him 
Oh, yeah. And I do believe that this was a selfish claim because he needed Percy to clear, like, Percy's own name, but in that same breath, he'd be clearing his father's name as well. So I personally believe it was a selfish claim, and I would have loved to have seen Percy get an actual claim where it didn't turn into, oh, by the way, you have to go on this quest that you might not come back from within, like, 48 hours after being claimed. I just wish Percy got to be, like, a child. Right, because he's still, he's only 12. (laughs) And he's just had so much trauma. So this brings us to the end of Capture the Flag, which, oh goodness, two-part series, hello. I wonder how many more chapters we'll have like this, honestly. (laughs) I have a a feeling that we'll have at least two more for this book. I'm not sure what ones Mm. they are yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if the, once they get to Vegas... Or the Lotus Hotel. Either one of those ones. Oh, I could see I being I feel like we could almost chapters. do a whole episode on the Lotus Hotel. <laughs> we probably could. And I have a feeling that's probably what we'll end up doing, just like we did with this. Because it's so interesting. I like it. Because we find out so much. Anyway, okay. <laughs> no, you're <laughs> good. You're good. Track. I know. But we're yeah, really no, good at doing we're... that. I know. We really are. But... This was such a fun chapter to dive into more and, like, taking that extra time to um, make sure we could do it justice. I really hope you enjoy this chapter as much as we did. (laughs) Yeah, this was a lot of fun. And honestly, Minnie, I think you're going to struggle finding places to cut bits and pieces out of because we are at almost an hour. And I know we're about to wrap up, but a lot of this was just good conversation. Yeah, it was. So like, this is like, really I could, I'll probably one. spend time cutting out pauses, honestly. <laughs> yeah. So mm. I look forward to seeing how it's going to sound after all that is said and done when it comes to editing. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Well, I'll be working on that over the Sounds next good. week or so. <laughs> Anything else, yeah. my dear? No, that's everything. Alrighty, then I'll just remind the people where they can find us. So don't forget that you can find us at Cabin 11 Podcast. That is all one word. 11 is numbers, not words. On Instagram and on Twitter at Cabin Percy. You can email us at Cabin11Podcast at gmail.com to share your Percy Jackson story or just in general connect with us. We really enjoy getting to know you guys. And honestly, the more that we get an opportunity to interact with you, the more likely there's a chance that you get invited to be a guest on our show. And we hope you enjoyed your night in Cabin 11 and look forward to having you visit us for the rest of the summer. Bye! Bye!